Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read 1 through 16. We're going to look particularly at verse 7, 8, and 16. God helping us. So Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, we need your light to guide us by your Spirit. Help us to see what this passage is saying to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and children too who are here, when Perhaps you were getting ready to go to church this morning. Your dad or mom said, hurry up, we got to get to church. And when you think then of this word church, what can often come to mind is this very building in which you're sitting. This is a church building. There are many other ways in which we think of the word church. But if I would say, what is the church? What is it that first comes to your thoughts in your mind? Is it something 
that you do. You do on the Lord's Day. Or when you think of church, are you thinking of a living, moving organism? Something that's full of life, like a body that's moving and living and speaking and and doing. And that's being changed. That's growing. It's being changed into the glory of God day by day. As Christ, by his spirit, is working in her. And when you think of the calling of the church. What is the calling? What is the vocation? What is the responsibility? What is the church to be doing? What do you think she is to be doing in this world? When you think of the gifts that have been given to the church that Christ has given to her, what do you think of? Your pastor, maybe the elders and deacons, maybe this building, maybe the ability to do mission work. But are those the gifts that Paul is referring to in this passage that we have read together. Many times in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, I'm afraid what has come to be understood, and even in light of this passage of Ephesians 4, is that the pastor is the one who does the work, and he feeds the people. Now, that's partially true. That's that's partially true of what God has called pastors to be, those who are shepherds, those who are to feed the flock of God indeed. But that's not the whole truth of what the scriptures are setting before us, of who the church is called to be. The pastor isn't the one who is busy 24-7, 365 in ministering, and the rest of us kind of coast along in the shirt tails of those in the church who are ministering. Now, I think you know the answers, probably, to many of the questions that I've asked so far. But What I want to remind us of this morning and to clarify in our thinking is what Paul is really saying, the church, who she is, what she's called to do. And I don't want to take, of course, away from the centrality of the very purpose we're meeting right now and what's transpiring in these very moments. A pastor is proclaiming God's word as if God himself is speaking to us when it's according to this word, that we're to hear that. That's part of what the church is called to do. But not all. There's much more. God has given gifts to everyone in the church. And we, everyone, who confesses Christ is called to use those gifts in the way that would bring glory to God. There is a movement in some churches which says basically the minister is to minister in the church, and they get this from this passage as well, a particular interpretation. He's to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. As if the pastor is somehow on the sidelines as a big cheerleader who's, get going church, you've got to get into the work of what God calls you to do. There are some aspects of what Paul is saying here that is like that. But it's as if he's on the sideline cheering on. There's others who have the opinion that 
The pastor is the one who does all the work. He's the one who's doing all the visits. He's the one who's doing all this proclaiming of the word. And we sort of just go about our daily tasks as if part of the church doesn't mean anything about who we are to be in this world. And both of these views are exaggerated and extreme and and wrong. And so let's turn to this passage this morning with God's help and look at what we are called by Paul and by the Holy Spirit in this passage to be and to do. So I want to look particularly at verses 7 and 8 again in verse 16. It says here, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, quoting the Old Testament, Psalm 68, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And our theme this morning is the church's gifts. I want to look at three things. First of all, who gives these gifts? They're given by whom? Secondly, I want to look at to whom they are given. Who are the recipients of the gifts that Paul is mentioning here? And then third, what's the purpose? For what end uh, these gifts have been given? So the church's gifts, given by whom, given to whom, and given for what purpose? Paul's focus here in this passage, if you go home this afternoon or in this week, read through Ephesians, you will see he has a central thought in view. His focus is on one person, one head of a body. And that person, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wants the Ephesians and he wants us to realize that this unity that he is unpacking here for the Ephesians and for us is a unity that is found because Christ being head has a body and these two cannot be separated from each other. And therefore, if we are united and connected to the head, we ought within the body to demonstrate that same unity that is found in Christ, in a body. And Paul is saying here, it's not something we should be striving for. Yet that's true, and we understand what that means, we're to put off any disunity and that kind of thing. But what I mean to say is this. Paul is saying this is already a reality. Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in you all. This unity is a given. He is the unifier. 
And it may not always seem that way. It may not always seem that way within a local congregation or even certainly we don't see that today as much as we desire and pray for it to be seen within the larger body of the church throughout the world. And we ought to be those who are seeking to see this unity that is a given, is a reality fulfilled more and more. And that means, though we are individual believers, that's true. Paul has mentioned here there is one body, one Lord, one head. There is one Catholic church that if you uh, confess in the Apostles' Creed tonight, you will say that we believe in one universal Catholic church. That's this unity that Paul here is referring to as well. Now it's true. In God's providence... There are local bodies, local manifestations of this unity within a local geographic church. And what Paul is wanting to say here is that even within the local church, although that extends to the whole body as well throughout the world, there have been given gifts. Gifts have been given to the church. And Paul highlights this truth. And he says, to every one, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Everyone here who confesses Christ to be their Lord and Savior have been given grace a gift from Christ. And, and Paul goes on to describe this. It was, was already foretold in the Old Testament. And he gives us a picture that we can understand what he's saying. And the picture he's painting here is of a king in the Old Testament who's gone off in a conquest and obtained a victory over an enemy, <coughs> taken the spoil of the enemy, and he brings it back to his people... And shares the wealth. He gives the gifts to all of those in the city. To his people. To his citizens. We've just gone through ascension. Day in which we remember Christ ascended into heaven. And the idea is Christ has come down to earth. He has defeated the devil. And his dominion. And his realm. And he gathers, as it were, this victory. And he ascends into glory. And when he's there, he is now sending forth gifts. And one of the great gifts we've seen on the day of Pentecost, he sent forth his spirit. But notice what Paul says here. Given grace to everyone according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is grace? It's undeserved gift. It's not something we have earned. Or we are given because we deserve it. We are sinners. By nature, 
And even after we have received his grace, we still sin. So we've earned nothing. And so what Paul is highlighting here is the gifts that we receive, whatever gift you or I may have, which comes from him, is a sovereign dispensing of his grace, of his gift. It's from him. And he gives as he pleases, according to the measure that he will give it. The gift is not dependent upon the receiver of the gift. We can't produce anything pleasing to God. So my gift or your gift is not any greater or lesser because of who I am. He gives freely. That's the definition of grace. That's the heart of the gospel. But Paul is here not talking when he mentions grace and gift. He's not talking in this particular context about the gift of salvation, about the grace of salvation initially and saving us and finding us in our own pit of sin and rescuing us and delivering us and setting us free from the bondage of sin. Not at all. He's talking about what he's now given to us as his people, as the church, as the body. We're not there yet, but think about this question till we get there. Why do you think Christ has given in his own way discriminately to whom he will, how much he will? Why has he done this? For what purpose? Do you think it's so that we could use it for our own glory and our own benefit primarily? Selfishly? Or is it to reflect him who gave it? So that as we have received freely, we give freely. But who is it then that gives us this gift and this grace? Paul clearly is telling us it is Christ. Christ who has ascended on high. Who else has taken the devil captive? It is only Christ who could. Spurgeon put it this way in his own quaint way of putting it. When our Savior was expiring his last breath on the cross, when he gave up the ghost, then his spirit descended down from that cross and he put the devil himself in chains and pulled him up to glory to answer to God. Now, that's not literally what happened, of course, but it's a picture of what Paul is saying here. Christ left his place of glory, and as the Son of God, the Son of Man, he came down and dwelt among us. And through the way of offering himself completely, even to death, he obtained the victory. He defeated hell and death. And now he has ascended up to glory. That's Paul's point here. He is the great captain of the armies of the Lord of hosts. And we are his soldiers in that army when we are followers of this Christ. Christ is the one indeed who delivers us from our being in bonds to the evil one. That is what he has accomplished, this victory of delivering captives out of the hand of the evil one. 
and sets them free and gives them the gifts. By His Spirit, He draws sinners to His cross that they would look upon Him as the one who they have pierced as the only suitable Savior. And by this same Spirit, He teaches us that Christ is the only one who can rescue us and give us what we need to minister as we are called to do. Now Christ, the king and the captain, the head, has gone to heaven. Uh, But he's not left us alone. He has sent his spirit, yes, but he's also given gifts. He's also equipped us as the commander-in-chief of his army that we might rightly do battle in this spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. Do you recognize the spiritual battles that you, if you follow Christ, are engaged in each day? Are you fighting those battles all alone? It's impossible. You won't gain a victory. But he, the head of his body, has gone on before us. He dispenses this grace and these gifts to equip his people and his church to live in this present world. And Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus and he's saying to us, you have received these gifts as a result of Christ. They are from his giving. They are a result of his work. And when we think about that, when we really ponder that, that anything we can do to fight against the enemies, anything we can do to overcome in a spiritual conflict, anything that would encourage our hearts, anything that would lift us up to serve God in his glory, it's from him. And our hearts then ought to overflow in response of love to him. And to demonstrate what he's called us to be in a unity of a body. Christ didn't give the gifts to us so that we could put them on display for everyone else to see and to say, what a wonderful Christian, what a godly man or woman or child this is. Our hearts rather ought to be lifted up in praise of him. Christ who knows your need, your circumstances, your heart, dispenses of these gifts. He measures them out to fit precisely what your need is. He doesn't, if I may put it in this old way in which forefathers have used it, he doesn't give you dying grace before you die. You don't need it. But as people approach death, he gives his grace. As you approach trials in life, as you approach circumstances that will need you to crucify your own desires and your own interests to serve him, he will grant us grace. When you are tempted, he will give you strength for the hour. And here's where we can become distressed. 
we can become worried about, will I actually press on to the end, to the goal, to the final crossing of the race? Or what about the church? Will she actually survive? Christ is saying, and Paul is saying to us, he gives his gifts. And we're to use the gifts he's given us for the purpose of serving him. No doubt Paul could be lifted up in pride about the gifts that he had been given. But nowhere do we read this. He rather, he says about himself, who am the least of the apostles. He recognized it's Christ and Christ alone who gave him to be what he was. There's no room for boasting. He's the giver. But this leads us to the second thing that we need to look at this morning. To whom are these gifts given? Paul mentions here, but grace was given to each one of us. Everyone who read this at the church at Ephesus had to hear Paul say, you have been given at least a gift, if not gifts. When this letter is read in our hearing in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in 2023, the same is true. Everyone who confesses Christ, who belongs to him in this body, the church, to you, has been given a gift or gifts unto every one of us. Who's us? Well, Paul, if you go back and read Ephesians again, you'll see clearly who he's talking about. Those who have been blessed by God. Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Those who have the Father and all his spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Those who are chosen in him, predestinated to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according to his good pleasure of his will. Those who have been redeemed by his blood who have the forgiveness of sins. In this church, in every other church of like confession, the confession of the apostles and prophets, every church has been given, every member within that body has been given gifts. And so the probing question that you and I need to face as we think about the gifts given to whom is this. Are you, am I, a living member of the body? We have dead cells in our body. We have cancerous cells in our body. And the same can be present in the body, the church. It all seems to work together as a whole, but it's not working for the good, for the glory of God. It's only seeking its self-interest. You take a cancer cell, it's out of control, and it begins multiplying, and it begins consuming the body. It needs to be corrected. It needs to be treated. But every living member of the body is called to use the gifts that have been given by Christ 
to them. You know, our bodies are made up of many cells and they all function together. It's amazing. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in biology. And as you think about the body, as you study biology, as you study the life of organisms, God has made everything so wonderful. As you, as you learn about people and their sickness and, and diseases and so on, you're, you wonder the, the body is fearfully and wonderfully made. It's knit together. And Paul goes on to describe this when he says, you know, there's one part of the body that seems insignificant. It seems small and, and, and without consequence. And yet it's probably the most important part of the body. Every member is important to the whole body. He says we're fitly joined together, knit together, so we can be a blessing to the whole. There is no insignificant member here this morning. Because this body would not be able to function to its proper purpose if you, with the gift you have been given of Christ are not utilizing that gift for the benefit of the whole. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what particular gift Christ, the ascended Lord, has given to you? You know, when I taught in high school, Maybe it's mostly my background, but probably it would be true here too, to some degree. I, I asked the students in 10th grade, I, I taught Bible class too, and I said, now I want you to write on a piece of paper what things in your life are not right that need to be changed and that, I don't know, you need to repent of or something like that. And they all got a piece of paper out and they began writing. I gave them five minutes and they were still writing. And you could probably do that too. What things need to change in your life? It needs to be done differently or repented of. Well, then I said, okay, turn your paper over. And I said, now write the things that you're good at and the things that God has given you abilities to do that you're to use to serve other people. What? What are you talking about? What were the questions? Why is that? Well, we're afraid in our teaching that we might be lifted up in pride. That's possible, that's true, and we need to be cautious about that. But Paul is saying you and I have been given gift, gifts. And if you don't recognize what gifts Paul has given to you, how could you use them for his purpose and his glory? We can't. So what Paul is saying here and and saying to us this morning is we're to come before God and ask to be clear about the particular gifts that have been given to us to be used for a purpose. So part of your homework this morning as I send you home will be this. Asking yourself, asking others around you, what gifts do you see in me that God has given? What gifts do I have given by Christ? Because we said at the beginning, he's the giver of them all. We don't have anything of ourselves. We're not deserving of any gifts. So what are the gifts that God has given to me that he is calling me to use for the unity, for the body to edify the whole? Because when we don't use those gifts as we're called to do, who suffers? Everyone. 
Do you know the gift that Christ has given to you? Well, let me turn to a couple of other passages. Turn there with me. Romans 12. Paul has just laid out in the first chapters of Romans um, the gospel in in, in a very clear fashion. And now he's coming to this appeal that the Christian's reasonable service is to offer ourselves a living sacrifice. Then you get to verse 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, we may stop there and think that's all that Paul is going to say, as if referring to the amount of strength of our faith or the weakness of our faith, but he goes on to describe more clearly, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the... He's saying the same thing, isn't he, is what we were looking at in Ephesians? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on to describe them. And you know, when you read the uh, form for uh, pastors, elders, and deacons, some of these are quoted here in service teaching and exhortation and and so we often think well these gifts are just given to those in special offices in the church no Paul has just clearly said this is to all to everyone has been given gifts or a gift at minimum to be used in service of the whole now turn with me again to first Corinthians here's another um passage where Paul is setting forth this same truth. 1 Corinthians 12 and begin at verse 4. So he's first before this described that no one can say that they're a Christian except they say Christ is Lord and through the Holy Spirit but now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. There is no one in the church who has some kind of exclusive personal power in themselves to do what would be for the benefit of the church. It's because of Christ who gives the gift, empowers us to each Verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit of utterance and knowledge, to another the utterance of knowledge, uh, of faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish or discernment between spirits, to another various kind of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or gives, dispenses to each one individually as he wills. 
For just as the body is one and many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so is Christ. The members are many. The body is one. Yes, one throughout the Catholic Church. God has given to various churches differing gifts as well as a whole that you see this church is faithful in standing for the cause of truth and against the tide of our evil world today. This church may be busy in ministry and evangelism and this church may be busy in defending the faith this church may but each church is given also individually a task of God but even within the church each individual member is given gifts for the edification for the unity for the prosperity spiritually of the whole body Paul, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As every man has received the gift, even so minister to the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We have been given gifts. Do you know what your gift is? Or gifts. Do you pray to the one who gave it to you that you would be faithful in using this gift? Do you have anything in your house that <clears throat> is something kind of valuable that somebody else gave you? Uh, maybe at a wedding you were given a particular gift is just very special. And if I walked into your house and I, I said, what's that? Where would your focus be? Oh, that's my blank, blank, whatever the gift might be. No, it's like that, that was given to us by so-and-so. We, we value, we appreciate, we, we love this person who gave us this gift. That ought to be the response of our hearts, and when we talk about these gifts that have been given to the church. Let me give you another example. You could be an elder or a pastor, and you're, you're called to stand here and expound the word of God. But sometimes we, as pastors or elders, can go into the houses of an old widow, for example, who, who tells us what they've been reading from the Word of God and how the Lord has taught them certain truths from that passage. And it's deeper and more uh, glorious and, and more uh, spiritual than, than perhaps what I know myself. Do we profit? no matter what our office might be, from the gifts of the ministry of others within the church. We're not lone, solo Christians. We belong to a unity of a body that's to function as a whole. Are you doing that here's a question to perhaps 
ascertain whether you're thinking in that direction. Could you tell me two or three individuals in the congregation who have spiritual needs and cares that you're praying for because you've talked to them about it. Who you're giving in some way to assist and to come alongside and to uphold as a body ought to do. The point that Paul is making with all these variety of gifts that he lists in these different passages is not to give some kind of general broad categories, but he's simply saying there is a diversity. There is a plethora of gifts that have been given. And they are given for a purpose. And that brings us to the third thing we need to look at. Are the gifts we've been given of Christ being used for the purpose for which they're given? So I come back to this question I asked in the first point and didn't answer. Why does Christ give gifts to his church? Is it so that we can bring the light and the focus on ourselves because we've got this gift and the other person doesn't? Or is it so that we, in light of the gift given to us, might be ready, as our head and master did, use the gifts given to serve, even to death. Because we are called to be like Christ. We're called to be like our husband, to use these pictures. But, but here is the picture of a body. The body is called to be like its head. That's what Paul is speaking about here. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're to strive after. That's what we're to, to use the gifts God has given us to, to see that happen not only individually, we're called to do that individually too. We're called to be changed from the inside out. Our hearts are to be, to be changed. We're to put off and to put on individually. That's all true. But it's true as a body as well. And it's true, of course, even greater, the whole body of Christ. Not only are believers individually called to be like Christ, but the church, the organism, the, the body, the church, as we sit here today in this local geographic area, this body as individual body. So when you go out into your neighborhoods, when you go out through your towns, and you check out at Meyer, you are giving a aroma of something. 
And individually we're called to give an aroma of Christ. But but that's true also as a, a body. This body is called to give an aroma of Christ. To demonstrate to this world, and it's becoming increasingly uh, important to do this, to show to this world we live, we think, we do differently than you do think and live. Not in a strange way, not in a way that brings attention to ourselves. But as the body, as it moves in this world, it brings attention to the head. Does the world see us as different because Christ has given to us gifts that we are utilizing and using for his glory? Gifts of kindness, graciousness, Love, patience, compassion. That's what will set us apart from this present world. Do we demonstrate in a world that is today filled with confusion and hopelessness that we can say, this is our hope. This is our confidence. This is where we stand. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount calls those who are a part of his kingdom, those who are a part of his body. When they follow Christ, he says, your neighbors and your friends will be drawn to the Father on account of your good deeds. That's using the gifts that Paul is mentioning here in Ephesians for that express purpose, to glorify our Father who is in heaven. In the catechism, it says that we are, by our behavior and godly conversation and lifestyle, to draw our neighbors and friends to Christ. And if individuals in the church are not serving one another and not serving each other in this way and using the gifts that God has given to us, how do you imagine the world who looks at us sees us? Calvin says about these gifts. Everyone desires to have so much himself so that he has no need of any help from others. But the bond of mutual communication is this, that no one has sufficient for himself but is constrained to borrow from others. I admit then that the society of the godly cannot exist except when each one is content with his own measure and imparts to others the gifts he has received and allows himself by turns to be assisted by the gifts of others. Now, of course, the promise of preaching, preaching of the word is to be primary in the church. 
It's God's ordained means and method. But that's only one short time frame, two hours or so on the Lord's day. And so in a sense, what we've referred to at the beginning and Paul is saying here is, this is to equip you for the work that you are now called to do the rest of this week among each other and within your communities. What gift has God given you to be used for his glory and the edification, the strengthening, the comfort, the correction even of a fellow member of this body? And are you willing to receive the gifts of others in this body? Maybe it's a phone call of encouragement, a word of comfort, a note, an email. Is this evidence of what Christ, what Paul is saying here of the body? The purpose is not only simply for the edification of the whole, That's true. But to demonstrate among yourselves within this world that you are the body of Christ. Now I'm sure you may be thinking you expressed unity. I heard uh, this morning before we entered the service what what blessings were were seen in in the work that was done through the uh, task and how that all went very well and, and, and these, these were evidences of, of, of what the body is supposed to do in, in the community. That's, that's great. But it's not only superficial and it's not only temporary what Paul is calling you and me to do and to be. Do you know the spiritual concerns and cares of the person next to you even or the person behind you or in front of you? That you're praying for them, that you're seeking to encourage them, that you want to hold them accountable. As a pastor in a church, it's about 500 where I came from before. There is no way that even a pastor or even a number of elders can meet all the needs of the church members it's impossible it wasn't designed to be that way Paul is setting before us here what our calling is and we need to seek to reach out with one another if we're one body just think of how your body functions your endocrine glands your thymus your your um Heart, your all of the different organs are all working in a miraculous, marvelous way, knit together. You're sitting here breathing, you're not even thinking about it. And your brain and all of that organ is, is working together with hearing and processing and thinking and reasoning and following and complaining and your whatever's going on inside, that's all happening within you. 
The same is happening in this body. And Christ has given to the church individually these gifts to be used for the benefit of the whole. On the day of Pentecost, when all of these thousands of people were saved, they came together. They were an exclusive group of people. Yeah, there was only one church basically at that time, if you will, the early New Testament church. But God didn't keep them together. He brought persecution and they fled to all different places. And they had to bear witness in all of these different places and were given gifts by God. And churches began to spring up here and there. And they were working and talking about the things of God and the gifts that he had given to them to be used for the benefit of the whole, for the purpose of the glory of God. Hebrews writer says, chapter 3, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In Thessalonians, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. Christ was surrounded by people, multitudes at times, preached to them. He didn't take that whole group of people and disciple all of them in the same intensity with the same gifts that he did his twelve. What Christ is calling us to do is very similar. If we would be built up in the church, we must first be unified in our own families, in our own church, and to demonstrate to this world we are the body of Christ. We love. We are compassionate. We show mercy. We show grace. If we do this to our communities in sincerity and earnestly and intentionally, God is able to fill all these pews with his church. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, we come in this morning, needing your help, your strength. We need you for everything. Bless us now, having heard your word, that we may indeed <clears throat> take heed to it. Help us to obey. Help us to recognize what gifts have been given to us, that we would use them for thy glory and the benefit of the whole. We pray too for the Reach the Forgotten program and group do bless this offering and give that it would serve that very purpose of being hands and feet of Christ to those in need. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.